Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's program, and we have somebody here that many of you will know, Holland Davis. And he's brought with him Roxy, his beautiful wife. Holland is now the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel San Clemente. And many of you will remember him leading worship here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. I'd like to welcome both of you to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Holland, we first met when you were involved in Calvary Chapel music and the early days. First of all, before we go to that, tell us your background. You were born in Japan. I was born in West Africa. You were born in yeah. Japan. <laughs> tell us how you I, finished up in Japan. Actually, I, I like to say I was made in Japan, <laughs> like everything else in the 60s. Uh, my, <laughs> my dad was stationed at uh, Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni. And uh, he was in the military. He was a Marine. And so I'm I'm a product of our armed forces. Yeah. Was, was your mother American or Japanese? She or? was Japanese, worked with my dad. And uh, so – and what's interesting is not only was I born there, but, uh, you know, my parents came back to the States, but I was also born again there. We went back when I was around 12. And when we turned – when I turned 13, it was in the middle of the Jesus movement. I heard the gospel. I actually heard Jesus speak to me in an audible voice. What did he when, say? He just said, Holland, I love you. And when I heard that, I just I was in this Bible study for young life, and I started weeping, and and I became born again. I didn't know that's what it was. I came back the next week and told them what had happened. They said, oh, you've been born again. And I said, well, that's great. What do I do now? They just said, read your Bible and pray and let God do the rest, and that's what I've done. Now, Roxy, you are one in a million. Well, not quite one in a million, but you were actually born in California. Tell us your background. Well, I was um, raised in a Christian home in um, San Diego County. I love San Diego County, and I feel fortunate to have been here my entire life. I'm not sure what else to say other than that. I love California. I'm a California girl. So how did you meet Holland? actually met Holland at a Calvary Chapel um, down in Escondido, uh, California, and he was leading worship at the time. And I had been raised in a free Methodist church. And as I got older, I loved about 20, 19, 20 years old. I loved the people at the free Methodist church, but I loved the worship at Calvary Chapel. And so a friend took me over there and Holland and I, within a year, uh, started dating and so that's how we met. Yeah. Now, I was a big fan when I lived in England uh, when I was just a kid and of uh, Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. <laughs> Tell us how Roxy Music figured into this big romance hollow. <laughs> well, you know, they were at my t at the time they were one of my favorite bands and I would listen to them all the time and so you know when I heard her name was Roxy, I mean it's, you know, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> I had to meet her. Well, actually it was my pastor that set me up. I was playing at a wedding, and he came to me, and he says, I need to talk to you. And I thought he was going to jump on me because I was the worship leader, and I was playing country music at this wedding. <laughs> and he uh, he says, you know, there's the, that cute girl Roxy in the church. And I said, uh, no, because I didn't know her name. And he described her and says, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. And he goes, uh, well, 
She has the hots for you. You should go for it. <laughs> <laughs> was That's that true. was that true? That was yeah, that true. Was true. Yeah. What, what was it about Holland that you really fancied then? I think it was just the Lord in in him. He just his personality. Exu- mm-hmm, yeah, exuded the Lord and um, yeah, just a like David, just a. I think a gentle, quiet spirit, but he just his love for the Lord. Now, music played a big role in those early days uh, here mm-hmm. at Calvary, but also in your life. How did you get involved with worship music? Well, I actually started leading worship. Uh, I realized now in my bedroom, I was learning to play guitar, and I would spend hours singing these Jesus songs that I learned in, in this Young Light group, you know, to the Lord. And that's how I kind of developed my skill as a worship leader. Fast forward that to Vista, California, where I'm living, and um, I went to work for this bookstore, Loaves and Fishes. It's I don't think it's there anymore, but um, it was owned by Chuck and Iva Eason, and they had uh, been missionaries in Guatemala, came up with the intent to plant a Calvary Chapel in Vista. And so uh, they found I played guitar, gave me praise one through four, and said, learn these songs, come to our Bible study. And uh, and I would do in the Bible study what I did in my bedroom. I'd close my eyes, sing songs, and I'd open my eyes, and people would be crying and worshiping the Lord. I'd never experienced that before. And uh, a month later, uh, Chuck uh, Easton said, well, we're going to start a church. It's going to be called Calvary Chapel Vista, and Holland is our worship leader. And <laughs> so at that point, I became a worship leader. <laughs> Ren, what year would that be? Um, that was like 1977, I think it was. I was 16 at the time. I think I was the youngest worship leader in the Calvary movement. I mean, I was like 16 and, and you know, leading worship for a church plant. It was my first church plant. I mean, it was an incredible experience now that I look back on it. And did you start writing your own music eventually? I did almost immediately because at that time, uh, people don't, you know, remember all the songs but we were singing songs like scratch a friend's back scratch a back next to you and sing la la you know it's like <laughs> we didn't have the cool songs that we have today you know we had seek you first and songs like that but i just wanted to express my love for jesus in my own language and so we started writing songs and singing those songs in church and where did you finally get married in calvary chapel escondido yeah that was uh, that was something that our pastor um, mentored us, counseled us, and uh, you know married us, and it was it was quite an incredible wedding. Uh, I found when I got married uh, many years ago in 1963 in England, Birmingham, England, um, I wasn't really prepared for marriage. Uh, you know, it seemed a good idea, but I wasn't really prepared and. Um, Within a very short time, we were running a drug rehabilitation center, and then I'd moved to London and was working with Billy Graham, and my poor wife was in total shock. By then, we got two kids, and uh, she didn't quite know what had hit her. Um, Were you prepared for marriage, or did you have a lot of ups and downs in the early days? Oh, I don't think... I don't know how you prepare for marriage. I mean, you can go through premarital classes, which, which we did, but when you have two people coming together, and, and we both have strong personalities, so we're we're very independent, and yet God brought us together. Uh, it was it's like salt and pepper, like we're opposites, you know. She was, when she likes decorating a certain way, I just thought it it was not good, and so I learned early on if I wanted anything on the walls, I just had to not say anything and let her have her, you know, because we were two very strong personalities coming together. Um, 
And we went through some very difficult years in the beginning. Um, but through that, what we learned was it was when we both surrendered to Jesus that our marriage began to work. And, and that's where we've been ever since. Ro- Roxy, what was the most difficult time for you in those early days? Well, I think um, when the children started coming and Holland was busy and um, taking care of the kids, I think most mothers would say that's when it really hits hard because it's a big responsibility, parenting, mothering uh, children and the demands that they have. And then with the husband, and he, he was busy. He's always been busy. Probably that might have been my some of my most difficult times. And I understand you've both been through a very tough time with uh, your son. Mm-hmm. Um, one of you, could you pick up the story of when things started to go wrong? Well, I, I always like to throw that to Roxy because she began to notice things in our son much earlier than I did. And uh, she would come to me and tell me how, um, you know, she just notices she grew up in a home where her sister was mentally ill. And so she was very familiar with it. I didn't grow up with that. So I would look at his behavioral problems in school and different things, and I just thought it was the lame teachers. The teachers didn't know how to educate my genius son, you know. And uh, But she could see things that were beginning to formulate in him. Right, honey? So wh- yeah, wh- wh- when did you first start to realize there was something wrong? Um, I think as early as, you know, uh, four years old, five years old. I shared a room with mental illness. My sister, three years older than me, was schizophrenic. And so it was very familiar to me. And um, even though our son was young, I could see that he, he in a lot of ways, reminded me of my sister. And I went to Holland, you know, and told him. And um, eventually I went to my mom and, and told her. And she burst into tears and said, I see the same thing. So it was kind of confirmation that, yes, you know, we may be dealing with some of the same So what was it, what was he doing? What were the, um, you know, the, the characteristics he was exhibiting that made you realize something was wrong? Well, for him, he was extremely active, uh, hyperactive almost. In fact, um, there was a um, school at the time that um, asked us to put him on Ritalin um, and uh, because of his hyperactivity. Sometimes this um, in a younger child will develop later into a mental illness, a full-blown you know, mental illness. But for him, it was mostly that. Sometimes it was um, seemed like oppositional defiance disorder, you know, where, um, I mean, that kind of explains itself, but just difficult, strong-willed, um, Problematic. Was it? Was he physically abusive to you? Um, not so much, but I do recall um, a period of time where he was either seven, eight, maybe nine years old. Not eight, not nine. He was young. And um, after we had put him to bed, he'd come out and say to Holland and I, Mom and Dad, um, I'm hearing voices in my head, and they're telling me to do bad things. They're saying bad words, and um, we kind of dismissed that at the time, but. Later, it made sense, you know, already, mm-hmm. even at such a young age, he that was happening with him. What would you tell him, Holland, when he'd say he was hearing these voices? I would usually go in and pray with them and lay down with them. And, you know, I'd, sometimes I'd read scripture to him and I, I would just comfort him and let him know that Jesus was bigger than any of this, you know, any of these things. And because I was at this time, I'm looking at everything through spiritual eyes. I'm, I'm not really sensing that there's a, a physical thing at all. 
um, Roxy was would say that, and it would it would get me upset because I'd be like, "You can't say that." I my training was in um, I, I was learning to be a counselor, and so in taking you know abnormal psychology classes, we were very trained that this doesn't develop until later in life. It's not you don't want to put labels on young kids, and so there was really not any research that would apply to kids that are five, six, seven. You know, mm-hmm. that that thought of mental illness developing that early didn't exist back then. Um, today, it's much different. They, there is research that shows that it actually, as Roxy said, it shows up oftentimes early on as mixed diagnosis, ADHD or ADD. Did, did the school ever kick him out and just say, look, we can't handle this kid or what? Yes, they said he, he will not be returning next year. That was a really low point, I know, for myself. I think mm-hmm. for Holland, too. How old was he then? He was in fourth grade, and so we had to put him in a new school um, in fifth grade, which he had a very good teacher that understood him and helped him, and it was an answer to prayer, actually, that little hiccup we had. It was devastation when they said, we're sorry, he can't return here, but then the Lord opened the door and actually gave us a really good year that following year. Alan, did he have any understanding of what was going on? No, and and that's the thing is with mental illness, it's your brain. Your brain tells you what's real, what's not real, and so when you grow up in your brain, you think you're normal. Everything you see is normal. Everything you experience is normal. And everyone else sees it and says it's not normal. And so you look at everyone else as being not normal. You know, why are you giving me a hassle? Why are you treating me this way? And so they often feel victimized, you know, by culture because they, they feel that we're normal and you're the problem, not me. And I'm sure also being in sort of Christian leadership, and then having this happen was difficult because, in a way, people are very judgmental about mental illness. You know, yeah. it's one of the one of the areas that we don't like to to talk about. Well, it's a spiritual thing; they're demon possessed or something like that. Right. So, how are you, either of you dealing with maybe criticism that the you know this can't be really mental illness? Well, that was probably one of the more difficult things. I was actually at a church where they said, your house is in an order, so you have to step down oh, for a dear. period of time. Dear, and so I'm, you know, I was forced to step down. And you know, what do you do at that point? And, and it actually was another pastor that came in and said, no, 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 his house is in order. He's dealing with something much bigger than we understand. And he was instrumental in bringing me back, you know, kind of reinstating me. But to see the judgment in the church, you know, our, our son has been kicked out of most churches that he's been a part of. Um, he, he's been born again. He's received Jesus. But he also, when he's not medicated, has behavior, uh, does behaviors that are socially not acceptable. And so it makes it very difficult for churches to know how to handle that, you know, or what to do with that. I, I remember interviewing a very well-known celebrity and uh, his grandson had had a terrible head injury, and they had to medicate him before they took him to a local church because he had Tourette's, and mm. his language <laughs> would be rather uh, spicy. To, did, did your son have Tourette's as well? Or? No, uh, but he does use colorful language. <laughs> <laughs> Has he ever, would he ever shout it out during a service or something? Or? He never did anything within a particular worship service. I mean, did you ever hear him say anything in a worship no, service? No, no. 
He yeah. actually would quote scripture. He knows the Bible. Like, I mean, he knows huge portions of scripture. He can just quote verbatim. And he's always had a real Good love for the word of God. skills, yeah. Yeah. So as, as he's growing up, did he get violent towards you, Roxy? Did he ever attack you? Well, no, he didn't. But when he um, started high school, I know that um, in those years, at some point, I started to um, go there in my mind because my sister had attacked me, actually. Usually people with a mental illness have one person that they specifically hyperfocus on and becomes their um, – I'm not sure what the correct word would be, but um, – for me, for my sister, that was me. And so I think that fear came back to me thinking, you know, that may potentially happen. And I actually had a conversation with at that time where he said, Mom, I'd never, ever hurt you. I love mm. you. And um, I, I, I know that to be true, even to this day. He's frustrated a lot. He's angry a lot. You know, those times that I may be fearful that he could do that, I just go to prayer, say, Lord, protect me. And um, no, I've never had, I never have had that happen. What about you? Were you ever close to a real physical confrontation? Yeah, in our family, I was the one that became identified as the one he would really go off on because I was the disciplinarian. I was the one that would say no to things. And so um, that really led to an escalation to the point where we actually had to have a restraining order uh, because he had assaulted me, and um, and it was it was a it was mild. It wasn't anything you know physical like physically harmful, but it had crossed a line that that in our home we felt like this is the this is where we set the line. We cannot go across this line. Because uh, when you do, then there's they feel there's the permission to keep going, and so. So what exactly did he do that day then? I was recording his behavior to show a doctor, you know, basically, and so he he uh, grabbed. This, this was on like a, a smartphone. Yes, and so he literally hit my hand, knocked the phone out, destroyed the phone, and when I and when I went to get the phone, he pushed me, and so. Um, that's the scariest thing that ever happened. He he's never like physically like punched me in the face or anything like that. He's not been that way. And the thing that a lot of people need to understand with mental illness is in their mind what when you have a mood disorder, when you have a thought disorder, you have thoughts that you can't put together. You have feelings that you don't know how to express and so it comes out um as anger. A lot of times that anger is really based in fear. They're afraid not of you. They're afraid of themselves. And so, you know, if you can think about not being able to put your thoughts together, how fearful that would be. Uh, and so you're trying to use words and the words that are coming out of your mouth aren't making any sense because they make sense to you, but they're not connecting right. And so the fear and the frustration of that turns into anger and that's why a lot of times you'll see mentally ill people and they're they're angry it's not because they're angry it's because they're filled with fear and at that time had he already left home or was the, was this the, the turning point this was kind of the turning point this was where like i said he had crossed a line and we felt like for his benefit in order to move him towards taking responsibility for his mental health 
um, we needed to make these decisions. Yes, he had actually been living with us for about 10 years, and um, so he'd been at home, come back from Bible college, and then been at home with us. So he went to Bible college? Yeah, he did. He barely graduated, but he did. Did he have any big uh, blow-ups there? Right towards the end, yeah. Yeah, and and the thing with, um, you know, again, having been there and not, you know, there were times when his behavior would land him in jail. One time he he just thought, I need to uh, get somewhere, and there's a bike there, and he took the bike, and, (laughs) you know, and he was going to bring it back, you know, because in his mind, you know, it's all the Lord's, everything belongs to the Lord, and I can use anything that belongs to the Lord. That's what his mind is telling him. But the law says that it's first-degree burglary, you know, and so he was put into jail for uh, four to six months and, uh, for that. And, 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 but he, you know, when the people saw him, they said, here, wait here on this street corner. And and he obediently waited because in his mind, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was, you know, (laughs) operating normally. And, uh, and that's the difficult thing, you know, when, when mentally ill people do behaviors that we don't understand or that we feel threatened by or scared by. And how, and know, understanding what's going on in their mind and what their intent really is, because they can't communicate that. So now I understand he's homeless. At, what, what? Where is he living or, you know, sleeping? Is it on the streets or what? Um, he's been homeless around, you know, the, the Dana Point area, around around the coastal cities. A lot of homeless people will go where where they can anonymously be. He also couch surfs, you know, surfs. He has friends that will let him stay a night or two and, um, you know, especially on cold nights and, and that sort of thing. How, how does this make you feel? Because I imagine as a mom, this must be an awful feeling. I suppose in some ways you blame yourself even though you're not to blame. Yeah, it's definitely been the um, homeless part has been the bottom. It feels like it's the, been the bottom. Yes, I, I think it's normal to say, what have I done? What haven't I done? And to question yourself. Yet the Lord's just drawing me closer and closer to him. It's been wonderful for my relationship with the Lord. But yet at the same time, the grieving process has been excruciating. And I've even questioned, is grieving sin? Because I've had such deep depths of grief that I've questioned, oh, if I was trusted in the Lord, I wouldn't be grieving this bad. I've since discovered that, no, it's okay to grieve. I'm sure Mary grieved when she watched uh, her son being crucified. It's just you go through the grief, but you trust God. God gets us through. How have the people at the church at San Clemente been? Well, our church is wonderful because, you know, one of the things that when we started the church, I... Earlier on in our development, you know, I, I had a home group. It was filled with drug addicts, and we had people that were multiple personality disorder. I mean, we had a, a really incredible group of people, you know, very very diverse. And I went to this training. They said, you attract the people who are most like you. And so <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness. So I came home, and I said, honey, we're shutting down the group. And we shut down the group. And I didn't do any home group ministries or Bible studies until we started the church. And uh, when we started the church, the Bible study, it was all business owners and, and people that owned their own cars and their own homes. And, and I was looking around going, oh, thank you, Lord, for finally a group of normal people. <laughs> and then the Lord said, take another look, take a step deeper. <laughs> and I looked at all their kids, and they were mentally ill, on drugs. It was the same group, but it was now I'm ministering to the parents 
and it broke my heart. I finally realized, okay, Lord, I I have been disobeying you. I will. This is what I'll do. I'll devote my life to this. And so, our church is a safe haven for families that have struggles. And so, they've even looked at our struggle. And we've had people in our church. You know, they'll run into our son on the street, and they'll they'll feed him, they'll take care of him, and um, they'll report back to us. You know, so we know that he's okay because we don't always know uh, where he's at or if he is okay. And um, and so it's been an incredible thing to watch our church do that and watch families in our church who have similar struggles. You know, we have, an, you know, other family members in our church that have mentally ill sons or special needs kids. And so our church has been kind of a, a refuge in the storm for families like that. Roxy, what would you say to a mom who's just discovered she's got a son who's got similar symptoms to your son? Well, I think that, you know, there's organizations such as NAMI, N-A-M-I. Holland and I discussed it. There's so much out there, um, help out there. Just resources that they can look to. And um, I would encourage her that way. Um, I would also tell her that when she's run out of uh, prayers, that to know that Jesus intercedes, you know, on behalf of her and um, or the um, situation and that he holds all of her tears in a bottle. You know, it's just knowing that that, that um, gets us through sometimes as mothers. Well, I'd like to thank this very courageous couple. My dad was a pastor. I know how tough it is to be a pastor. That's why I never became one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if people want to know more about the church, uh, Calvary Chapel San Clemente, what's the website? It's calvarysanclemente.org. And uh, they can watch us at live.calvarysanclemente.org and become part of our online family. Well, if you could pray for this lovely couple, Holland and Roxy Davis, and uh, not Roxy Music, but Roxy Davis, <laughs> I want to thank them both for being on the program and for sharing their story. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station, 103.7.